It's time once again for another episode of All That's Jazz, the podcast that explores everything in the world of jazz. And here now is your host, Alan Scott. Hello and welcome to another episode of All That's Jazz. Today our guest is Grammy-nominated and downbeat cover artist, Tana Alexa. She's a vocalist, a composer, an arranger, and a producer. And her music is described as pushing the boundaries of the genre into new and unexplored territory with deep-seated roots in jazz and overtones of contemporary soul and world music. Welcome, Tana. It's nice to have you with us. Thank you so much. It's a pleasure to be here. I'm, I'm honored that you would spend this time with me. Oh, it's our pleasure, and uh, it is a uh, distinct honor to get the opportunity to talk with you, especially about the fact that you have recently been acknowledged with a Grammy nomination for your latest release, which is called Ona. Yes, it's uh, it's it's still an unbelievable thing to have happened. I, I, I'm... I'm still in shock, I think, for uh, for an independent grassroots project like this uh, to be recognized in that way is is overwhelming. It's it's such a it's such a humbling experience and really makes me feel like the months and years that I spent just being true to myself and to the project uh, really paid off. And it spoke to people in the way that uh, the story spoke to me and forced me to to push forward. Well, you know, what's interesting is that you just mentioned something about all the years that you've put into this. And I know of recent history, you've been described by Downbeat, for example, as a rising star. Uh, and this Ona release is only your second one as a leader. Is that correct? That's correct. That's correct. So, but uh, I, I think oftentimes, you know, people think, well, geez, where'd they come from? They came out of nowhere. Uh, and well, actually, that's not the case. I mean, you've been in the business for quite some time. It's just now that the overdue recognition has come to the surface uh, with a Grammy nomination for you. And you work with a number of wonderful artists and so forth. And before we get into maybe a little bit of a discussion uh, about the uh, release called Ona, what I would like to do is start with a little bit of history about yourself. Tell mm -hmm. us about you. Are you originally from uh, the U.S. or were you born in Croatia? 
So I was born uh, in New York City. I was born in Manhattan to Croatian parents. And I moved with my family back to Croatia uh, when I was 13. So I finished my junior high and high school in Croatia, but had my, the beginning of my life in the States. So English is my first language. It's the way that I express myself. But I'm very connected to my Croatian roots um, as I put forth in, uh, in this album and the use of the Croatian lyrics and the Balkan choir. But my, my musical journey started actually at three years old. I, I got lost at a children's birthday party and my mother found me in the basement of this house. I had found a little keyboard and I was plucking out melodies of songs, children's songs that I had heard. And uh, she thought that this was the sign of genius <laughs> and everybody thought she was crazy. But she called uh, the local conservatory uh, in the town where we were living uh, in a suburb of New York back then. And uh, she asked if she could bring me in for, for a meeting. And of course they said, yeah, ma'am, I'm so sorry, but we don't accept children under the age of six and you know, all of these different things. And uh, she said, please, I just, I think there's something special. Can we just bring her in and see if we can get her some, some basic music lessons? And so I went in to this meeting and I had my little dress and my frilly socks with my patent leather shoes. And I had my tiny little keyboard that could sit on my lap. And, uh, and I went in and I was terrified and I refused to play. <laughs> oh, no. And, uh, and it kind of went back and forth like this with the dean of the school, and my mother and me sitting you know, with my legs just barely reaching off the end of the chair with this keyboard and refusing to play. And at some point when I realized that the, this meeting was coming to an end in my three-year-old child mind, I decided to start playing something. I, I, I mean, I have no recollection of this. This is just what my, what my mother tells me. And the dean thought that that was pretty impressive. And so she called the piano teacher in to come and see. And the piano teacher came in and I again refused to play. <laughs> and uh, yeah, I was just uh, three years old. But at some point out of the blue, I said out loud that I didn't actually want to play the piano. I wanted to play the violin. And my mother had no idea that I even knew what a violin was at that point. And so they brought the violin teacher in and the violin teacher opened up the green velvet case and took out the violin. And I said, yes, I, I want that. But at the age of three, my, my hands were too small. <laughs> and so the, the dean said, why don't you wait a year until your hands grow and then you'll be able to use one of the smaller sized violins and uh, you can start music lessons. And so, of course, again, I, I don't have any recollection of this. I was too young, but my mother claims that almost to the day, a year later, she was cooking in the kitchen and I said, mom, I'm ready. <laughs> I'm ready to play the violin. And so they started me with the Suzuki method and I played violin very seriously for about 13 years. And then when we moved to Croatia as a family, because of the fact that we always spoke English at home, uh, I didn't know Croatian fluently. And so I wasn't able to enroll myself into music school in Croatia. So my, that's kind of, I had always been singing and composing my songs, but when I moved to Croatia, I had this overwhelming need to connect with the language with which I express myself, and that's English. And so I, um, I started to sing, and kind of the violin took a, a backseat and, uh, and then I just recently actually started uh, to pick it up again, much by the inspiration and encouragement of Regina Carter, who, when I met Regina, 
this was back in 2016, I believe. We did a, a show together with bassist Michael Olatuja's band. And uh, we got to talking and I told her how I used to play violin. And she said, girl, pick up the violin. You, you know, let's, you, you, there's, there's something about, you, you wouldn't have spent that many years with that instrument unless there was a deep connection. So don't, you know, don't, don't waste that. And, uh, and so she inspired me to pick it up again. And then uh, I started playing. So it's the violin and classical music was my entrance into the world of music. And then I guess my, my need to express myself through lyrics was how I brought singing into the forefront. How did it go when you picked up the violin again? Because there was a, a, a long period of time where there was a disconnect with it. Did it uh, just seem to fall into place? I mean, of course, there, there's a lot of physical things that your muscles remember, that, that muscle memory that was very surprising to me. Also, the smell of the wood and how it, how it felt so close to my face and the sound of the, of the notes in my left ear as I hold the violin. There were all things that started coming back to me and giving me these wonderful memories and just emotional connection to this instrument. So even though my, my facility was not the same, those few things were so encouraging that it really just made me start to practice. And, and it was incredible how fast things started to come back. So when is that album coming out now? <laughs> so that, that I mean, I'm, I'm actually working on incorporating the violin into, um, I use a lot of looping and effects when I, when I sing both solo and uh, with the band. And so I've been working on incorporating the violin and looping the violin and using effects in, into whatever the next project will be. But since uh, I started picking up the violin again, I actually brought it on the road and I had been playing with uh, my husband, Antonio Sanchez and his band Migration. There was, uh, we were playing um, music from the latest album that we released, which was called Lines in the Sand. It was a protest album about the immigrant experience. And uh, there's a beautiful piece with a string section. And so it was between me and Matt Brewer on bass, using the arco, using the bow and the bass, and then Chase Baird on uh, Iwi using a bunch of string pads. And so the three of us were kind of like a string section. So it, it forced me to pick it up and practice and, and bring it on the road, which was very exciting. That sounds amazing. And, and it, it, look at how it all evolved. It, it's, your story is, is somewhat common among a lot of artists, uh, but I, I think it's, it's also something that separates you from the rest of the population because somewhere on the left side of the brain uh, or whenever, when you and others were born, that there seems to have been some sort of predetermined uh, gene or uh, synapse uh, that releases this musical opportunity to, to understand uh, that your gift is music. That's absolutely, absolutely true. I, I, music found me. I don't know how, I don't know how, but it, it really found me. And, and there is a lot of art and music in my family. Nobody uh, in my family was ever uh, an artist full time, but actually the violin that I play belonged to my grandfather. He was also a violinist, a closet violinist. Uh, nobody knew that he played violin, not even my father. Wow. Once my father was home visiting his, his dad from law school, 
and uh, walked into the living room of his 60th Street apartment in New York City and all of a sudden heard this violin play. He was in grad school. He never knew that his father played a violin. So I, I inherited my grandfather's violin, which is also a very special thing. After the voice came into the picture for you, were you vocally trained somewhere or uh, through studies? I was. I, I found a, what was called the Rock Academy of Zagreb, Croatia, and I had a wonderful teacher there who helped me. She was originally for classically trained singers, so it was uh, not specific to the jazz or pop techniques, but more the classical route, uh, opera and that kind of thing. But it really helped me get to know my voice and understand the breathing mechanism and how the, the body connects to the voice and and um, it, was a, it was a great first experience. So I learned a lot with her. And then I got my first formal uh, training in jazz. Uh, there was a wonderful jazz workshop that happened every summer in Croatia called the Jazz is Back workshop. It was held in this beautiful picturesque town on the top of a little hill with a cathedral, you know, population zero. <laughs> Uh, and uh, it, there's a, it's a very special energy that actually goes through this town. There are artistic events and festivals that happen specifically in this town all year round because of the creative energy that people claim exists there. And um, my mentor in high school, who was uh, basically one of Croatia's most well-known uh, jazz musicians, his name was Boško Petrovic, he was a vibraphonist, um, he took me under his wing and brought me to the jazz workshops and gave me my first gigs in Croatia. And that was really how I started to get introduced to the idea of using my voice as an instrument. And the rest is history. And the rest is history. There you go. <laughs> and it's good to see that uh, you became not only enamored, but immersed in the world of jazz. And look where it has uh, brought you today. So tell us about your first album, Mm -hmm. uh, I like my, the title of that, by the way. Thank you. Um, my my first album, which I released in uh, 2015, uh, quite a quite a while ago, uh, it was uh, called "Ode to Heroes," and it was quite literally my tribute to the musicians and people, both in my personal life and in the world of music, who I felt had contributed to who I was at that moment. So it was musical idols whose music I had followed and learned from people in my, in my personal life who I've had experiences with that changed who I am and, and, and um, who I wanted to honor through my music. So it was really a, a very reflective album. And it was my first attempt as a solo artist, writing and uh, arranging and was it was a it was a beautiful experience. And then you progressed on to where we are today, and that'll bring us to the subject of Ona, the release in March of this year, twenty twenty. That was a self release, meaning what, please? Meaning it was a completely grassroots project. I raised the money all by myself to do it, which was also a story in and of itself. Um, I had used actually a now defunct crowdfunding platform, which was called Pledge Music. It was kind of like a Kickstarter or an Indiegogo, one of these uh, types of platforms. Uh, and I used the, that platform to raise money from my friends and fans. And the company in the middle of the year in which I raised the music 
first declared bankruptcy and then went into liquidation. And money from thousands of artists' campaigns was basically never paid out. So it was a, it was a big, big bump in the road. So I had to go back to the drawing board. I had to raise the money again, earn the money to do this project. Because without a record label or any kind of major distribution or any kind of management and at that time no booking agent no basically no team at all other than the person you see before you now it was a completely independent project basically just fueled by my love of the story and the idea and my need to express it and of course the basis of the album has a personal connection to your personal life and beliefs and just general philosophy, especially as it regards to being a woman and being involved with women's issues that were sparked, uh, I think, what was it, uh, 2017, you went to the Women's March in Washington, D.C., and that was part of the catalyst or the inspiration for this release? It was a huge part of the inspiration, but I, it was interesting how I had started writing some of the music before my experience at the march. And it wasn't until after the march that I realized that the common theme of the music that I had been writing was the stories of women. And it, it's almost as if, like I said before, how music chose me. I didn't choose it. Ona chose me. I, I really, she presented herself to me. It was uh, something that I didn't realize until I was a few songs in, but it was really that idea crystallized after I attended the Women's March and that, uh, that completely inspiring and invigorating experience just motivated me to continue writing and to continue telling the stories of women. And what stuck out to me the most at the Women's March were the speeches. I was so amazed by the voices of women and how they were able to freely express themselves at the march that I wanted to go deeper into the stories of the women in my own family, the Croatian women in my family, who have across various generations, various cultures, managed to do what they've done and everything that their lives have meant and everything that they've worked for has allowed me to sit in the place where I'm sitting right now and to feel free enough to create a work like this. So it was really about finding my own roots as a woman. Who are the women that came before me that allow me to sit here right now? And then expanding that idea into contemporary women in modern society as a whole. Was this a tribute to the women in your life or a payback or at least an honor shown to them for their influences on you? Absolutely a tribute. Absolutely a tribute. I, I know that the, the place that I am, that I'm in right now, I couldn't be in had it not be, been for those women and uh, their efforts and their struggles and, and all the things that made their lives what their lives were. So this uh, this album is very much a tribute to them and it's and it's mostly a tribute to the two most significant female voices in my life which are my mother and my grandmother my paternal grandmother who is in her 100th year mm. still still living alone in florida cooking driving wow. still inspiring me every day exercising <laughs> and uh, it's uh, i have uh, two very very powerful 
and inspiring women in my life who have paved the way for me. And through them, I, I basically had a series of informal conversations or interviews with them over the course of a couple of years and asked them stories about the women in our family, my great-grandmothers, my great-great-grandmothers, and uh, because usually it's the men that are that are written about. The men are usually the ones that have paying jobs and they're connected to politics and the workforce and all these things. And so there's there are records of what these men did. But the women are also very impressive, even though their stories are not necessarily uh, passed down always. And, uh, and so through them and through these conversations, I learned more about the women in our family and their co contributions to our family. And uh, it just, everything kind of spoke to the same story. And then with the women's movement basically gaining so much traction throughout the years that I was writing this music, it just became clear that that was, that was the story that needed to be told at that moment. So the name Ona is a Croatian word for she, is that correct? That's correct. That's correct. And because I was, the inspiration first came from the stories of the women in my family, uh, I, I wanted the album to have the Croatian word for woman, for she. It was very important to me. And, and the lyrics that were written in Croatian are inspired by sayings that my grandmother has told me since I was little in Croatian. With her, I speak Croatian exclusively. And uh, with my mother, I speak in English. Uh, my mother is actually first-generation American, so her first language is also English. And, uh, and so the English lyrics are based on teachings by my mother. And the Croatian lyrics are based on sayings that my grandmother has told me throughout the years. And it was basically just a, uh, a blend of the two most prominent female voices in my life. And on this release, eight of these tracks are original compositions? That's right. Then you paid tribute to some other music of others through mm -hmm. the release itself, which, by the way, mm -hmm. our listeners should know that it was nominated as uh, Best Vocal Album of the Year. For the jazz, vo jazz. Vocal jazz. Yeah. Well, well, in my opinion, it's the whole Thank you, category. Helen. <laughs> but it also has a secondary Grammy nomination, and that is in the Improvised Jazz Solo category for Regina Carter, who's on the album. And yes. she's on the release that you did, which is uh, Pasha Mama. Tell us about that. So I went to Peru for the wedding of one of my closest friends while I was writing the music for Ona. And I was so moved by the deep connection that Peruvians have to Mother Nature. Also, my best friend whose wedding it was, she and her husband are eco-conservationists. And so the whole energy of their wedding and the people that were there and the things that we saw and the places that we went to, it was all connected to the conservation of Mother Earth. And it was striking to me how, you know, I we always say Mother Earth, but I, I had never truly thought about the fact that the personification is is a woman. It's our mother. It's uh, the woman who gives birth to us. It's the one who gives us life.
so I started to think about how women are connected to the earth, how we bear children, how, how we need to protect the thing that gave us life. And, uh, and so this was also my ode to supporting the efforts of uh, basically climate change activists who are fighting to save our planet, which um, we are so quickly destroying. And the idea behind Pachamama was to honor our mothers, but honor the ultimate mother, which is our mother earth and how, and bring attention to the fact that we still have not figured out or been able to understand as a human race that when we destroy our mother nature, when we destroy her, we destroy ourselves and she will last, she will survive. She has survived for millions and millions of years, but we are the ones who will not survive. Mm. And so there is this kind of cycle of you must protect the thing that gave you life because that you wouldn't exist without it. Well, it's a beautiful piece. And of course it has the added benefit of having uh, Regina's solo in there, which obviously got Grammy attention for yes. for that. And the music is just sweet and, and lovely. And, and, you know, what's so funny is the fact that, uh, I don't mean funny, but uh, interesting is that the, the, the track is over 11 minutes long. <laughs> but you get so absorbed in it. One thing that Anna has taught me throughout this whole process is that there is an inner voice that exists within all of us, that it, whether you're a male or female, this inner voice is something that tells you the way, the right way to go, whether or not that way is easy or not. And the lesson, the biggest lesson that I learned from Anna was to follow that voice. And in the moments where I followed that voice, even if it led me to the more difficult and more complicated path, the end result was so much more gratifying and, um, and beautiful. And this song is one of those things. When I listen to this song, I'm so glad that I didn't cut it. I'm so glad that I didn't edit. I'm so glad that I let Regina stretch, that I let her have that space because that solo is honestly one of the most beautiful solos I have ever heard. Watching her take that solo was the, one of the highlights of my musical career. Seeing, seeing musical greatness up close like that, because we actually recorded that song with Regina in uh, my and Antonio's home studio. Mm. Uh, so we have a, a studio without, basically the control room is the tracking room. There's no isolation. We're all sitting in the room together. And I listened to Regina take that solo with my headphones off, listening to her 
bare and acoustic violin. And uh, it was just, it was just a very powerful musical moment. Now, within the context of the album, you also incorporate the Croatian language and also spoken word. Tell us about yes. those elements. So the, uh, the Croatian lyrics um, were sung by a beautiful vocal group named the Rosa Vocal Group. Um, and it's a, a group of six women. Um, it's led by a, a wonderful Serbian vocalist named Aleksandra Denda. And her, her second is a Croatian vocalist named Astrid Kuljanic. And I was friends with Astrid because we we're in the Croatian scene together. And, and back in 2017, I believe, uh, I went to her album launch party, which happened to be in Carnegie Hall. And um, I sat in the audience and listened to all of the beautiful music that she had composed. And, uh, and she brought on the Rosa vocal group as a special guest. And they sang this a cappella unbelievably beautiful folk song uh, that just, I just had this very, very visceral experience of being in a Croatian village with the women of the village being the backbone of that village and of those people. And, and, and I just, I felt so at home in the microtonal essence of the music and, and the, the voices of the Balkan singing, that very nasal technique. Um, and, and, I, and I immediately knew that that's what I needed on the album. And so the album actually starts out with, uh, with a traditional Balkan singing without words. It's just, a, it's just a sound. It's just a sound. And everybody is singing in half steps away from each other and going back and forth between the notes. And, and it's just, it surrounds you with this village of women. It's like a rallying cry. So that, that was a very, very special thing to have these women emulate, you know, the village women singing the words of my grandmother's teachings. It was just a very, a very beautiful experience. And uh, with the spoken word. That's on the resistance, correct? Yes, the spoken word is on the resistance. Uh, which is the second track on the album. And uh, when, I when I returned from the Women's March, I was just, it ignited this power in me. And The Resistance was the first song that I, that I composed after, after coming back from the Women's March. And originally the song had, you know, all the sections that it has on the album, but it also had a solo section. And when I started to play around with this tune, I, I had envisioned a kind of distorted guitar solo that would sound almost like what you would hear coming out of a megaphone 
of somebody, you know, speaking or screaming at the march. And then I thought, you know, maybe, maybe this needs words that are not lyrics sung. I think it really needs, it needs, you need to feel like you're at the women's march and you're hearing one of these powerful women speak her piece. And so I started to Google uh, feminist poetry and activism, spoken word, and just all of, I went through all of this poetry and all of this material. And then I happened upon the spoken word activist, Stacey Ann Chin. And with every video performance of hers that I watched, I got more and more goosebumps and, 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 and just felt the power of her, the unapologetic nature with which she delivers her poetry. And uh, it, was, it was very moving to me. And I thought, you know, she's a big deal, but I have nothing to lose. So I found her email address or sent her a Facebook message. And I basically was, was completely forthright with her. And I said I was so inspired and moved by her performance. And I told her about the album and the, the idea behind the stories of these women and asked her if she would participate. And... To my surprise, she responded and, and said that she loved the idea and that she would be more than happy to participate. And the day that she came into the studio actually was the one year anniversary of the Women's March. And there was a Women's March in New York City happening that day. So she came directly from the march to the studio and, uh, and then performed an excerpt from uh, actually a poem that she wrote for the Black Lives Matter movement, which is a selection of her poems on a book that she wrote called Crossfire. You also have a rather poignant and personal track uh, in the the tune called Set Free. Tell us about yes. that. So in describing through the songs what it means for me to be a woman, I also wanted to go into the roles that I've played as a woman or the roles, not played, but the roles that I, the different ways in which I am a woman in my own life. And being a mother and a, a daughter and a granddaughter, you know, is one thing. But uh, I am also a sister. And uh, my brother uh, passed away tragically in a motorcycle accident in 2010. And Set Free was a song that I wrote on the eighth anniversary of his death. It was a night that I stayed up thinking about him and, and looking at pictures and videos and remembering him and remembering what it felt like to be a sibling, to be a sister, to be a big sister, what that female role in my life meant to him and meant to me. And I thought about the, the ways in which siblings are connected and the ways in which our family history is defined by the connection that we have with each other and how it's something that you only share with a sibling. 
other people can see that relationship from the outside. Your parents can see the relationship from the outside. But there is a very special bond that siblings have that is very specific to siblings. You outgrow your time, your body, your mind became. When my brother passed away, I knew that those stories and that connection to my family history would leave with him because it's only something that I shared with him in that way. And um, so that is also part of my femininity and part of who I am as a woman is always being Nikki's sister. What a wonderful and caring as well as giving moment for you. And thank you for sharing that with us. Thank you for asking. In other aspects of the release, there has been a description of uh, your use of atmospheric sounds and electronics, soundscapes, textures of, uh, of audio, etc. How did that come into the development for the addition of, of those elements in the, the release? When I did my first album, Ode to Heroes, um, I was just kind of getting my toes wet in the pool of, <laughs> of um, adding a lot of produced background vocals. It was just my first attempt of writing um, more extensive vocal parts. Uh, and I did a series of percussion and vocal backgrounds uh, on the recording. And originally when I was shopping it around to labels, they would say the music is beautiful, but how are you gonna perform this live? And so it was actually Antonio's idea, uh, my husband, to get a looping device, which would allow me to live loop and harmonize on the spot uh, the, the vocals that I had composed for, uh, for the record. And so I started to incorporate a looping device on, into my live show. But what ended up happening is that where I brought the looping device in originally to be able to execute what had already been written, learning how to use the, the looping device actually started to inform how I composed the music that followed. So just knowing what the device could do made me make decisions stylistically and compositionally on how I put the songs together. And then I got into the world of effects and I started to see how, you know, because I, I really appreciate a beautifully produced album. And that's something that in the jazz world is not so common. You know, we're very purist about trying to be in the moment and, and record something that is true and not tampered with and not edited. Um, but I really do appreciate records 
like in the rock world or in the, you know, just rock and roll when you hear old, you know, U2 records and, you know, Tears for Fears and things like that, that these records, they spent years on these records producing and, and adding and creating an environment. Each tune is an environment. And so I really wanted to achieve that first with my live show and then, of course, on the record. But then there was this other added thing that happened, which was brand new to me, um, which was production. And Ana is the first project that I self-produced in not only the financial sense and, and marketing sense, but also in actual editing and production. I learned how to use Pro Tools. I bought, you know, all of the plugins and I basically took complete and full control over my music and the story that I wanted to tell sonically, not just compositionally. And, uh, and so that was a really interesting learning experience, being able to see what the song can do and how you can emulate, you know, how you can bring about a certain emotional response just by adding color. Um, so there are a lot of things on the album that don't actually jump out at you, but they just lightly carpet the sound and make things thicker and fuller and more lush. And uh, it, it was just a, it was a very, very fun experience getting to learn how to do that by trial and error. Do you think that that's the basis or, or maybe the uh, element that stood out that might have led to your Grammy nomination as a vocal album bringing all these textures into the music? I, I would hope so. I, I, I really would hope so because I, I spent so much time and energy on on getting the sound just right and getting the mix just right and and adding these colors and, and textures and uh, everything, everything was intentional. And so if in any way that intention had anything to do with how people received it, I, I'm, I'm very happy about that. So we don't have a lot of time left, but let me uh, ask you about the uh, musicians, the personnel that you assembled for the album. Uh, let's start with the drummer. Uh, had you not chosen Antonio, do you think there would have been uh, uh, maybe a not so good uh, atmosphere in the household? <laughs> well, the thing, the thing about Antonio is that he really is, I mean, aside from being my husband and my life partner and an incredible musician in his own right, I truly feel like he is the perfect drummer for this project because of the fact that he is an unbelievable jazz drummer who is able to open the music and let it breathe but he also comes from a rock sensibility. And from all of his years of playing with Pat Metheny, he also knows how to play a pattern, how to lay it down, how to let the music settle when it needs to. Sometimes um, with, uh, with jazz drummers, the experience that I have is that the openness and the, the, the ethereal parts of the interaction and the improvisation are beautiful and all there, but sometimes it lacks this, this grounding that I really need with the music. And that is where the other genres are pulled from with the world music and these elements of contemporary soul and uh, some a little bit of pop sensibility. So I, I really need those two hats to be worn by the drummer. And Antonio is really just quite frankly, the perfect person for that. Tell us about the other musicians uh, on, uh, on the album. 
So um, there's Antonio, of course, and there is um, Jordan Peters on guitar and effects, Matt Brewer on electric and acoustic basses, and Carmen Stoff on piano, synth, roads, and uh, keyboards. Amazing. Absolutely amazing. And I think that's what people will say when they hear this recording, Ona. Uh, Thank it, you. It's, it's truly amazing, as are you and all the personnel that you've assembled to put all of this together. And thank you so much for speaking with us today here on All That's Jazz. Thank you so much for having me, Ellen. I, I really appreciate all of your thoughtful questions and, and for not only the fact that you listened to my album, but that you truly heard it. Thank you. That, that's, to me, a high compliment. And yes, I did hear it in many ways. And uh, that's what's special about the music that many of you as artists produce, compose, arrange, and perform. And thank you for that opportunity to share all these stories with you. Thank you. Thank you. And all the best. Good luck uh, on the Grammy or break a leg, I guess it would be more Thank you so much. To say. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this episode of All That's Jazz with Grammy-nominated jazz vocalist Tana Alexa. We'd like to thank Ben Sidron for the use of Mr. P's Shuffle as our theme song. And speaking of Ben Sidron, please join us next week for a conversation with this multi-talented gentleman. If you like today's episode, please leave us a five-star rating on the streaming service you use. All That's Jazz is available on every major streaming app, including Podbean, Apple Podcasts, and Spotify, as well as Facebook and online at allthatsjazz.net.